This is probably the strangest book in the Bible. Um, if not, it ranks right up there. But there's some really strange events that happen in Judges. And so, as we've done in the previous weeks with the other books, we're going to do an overview. And there will be places where we, we kind of highlight uh, and just kind of leave, unfortunately, some details out because of time. And um, we won't be able to get into a lot of details. But maybe if you have some questions at the end, I'll see see what I can do to answer those maybe. But we're, um, we're, we're starting, um, we're going to look at an outline of it uh, as we go through Judges. I'm going to skip through some of these for just kind of time's sake to get to where we need to go tonight. So we're looking at a theme in each book of the Bible, and the theme for, and you'll see when we get to it, why, but the theme for Judges is, is uh, self-righteousness. That is, um, this was, um, this is a, this is a book that, uh, overall, as a whole, God's people didn't see their need for him. And uh, we'll see that in here. There are 21 chapters in the book of Judges. And as I mentioned, it's probably the strangest book in all of the Bible. And it is not in chronological order. You have to understand that some of the Old Testament books are especially that way. Not everything happened one, two, three, four, five like that. And one example is you'll see if you read through the book of Judges, chapter one, it begins with the death of Joshua. Well, in chapter 3, it goes back and, and mentions again the death of Joshua, where he died. Well, uh, those, you know, apparently those events happened at the same time. Um, before we get too far in this, um, I would like to mention that the, the author, as far as we know, the author of the book of Judges is Samuel. Now, as you know, Samuel's time was um, the time before Saul was king. Remember Saul, then David? Samuel, in 1 Samuel is actually the last judge. And so hold on to that thought. We'll get to that when we get to 1 Samuel in a couple of weeks. But um, it was probably written by Samuel. And we have a couple of reasons that we, that we believe that, that we'll, we'll look at as we see this. And so it's not in chronological order. There's, and, and you'll see that through, as we go through the study. So let's look at a timeline quick and get that uh, part done. Remember way back creation, beginning of Genesis chapter one was, uh, we said about right at 4,000 years BC, 3975. Last week we looked at Joshua and it ended, it went from about 1422 to 1372 BC. And so judges, the dates on this vary because some say that the date for judges is 350 and some say maybe a little closer to 400 years, but we're putting it at about 350 from 1372 to 922 BC. So that's our, our travel journal timeline for judges. And so um, that's roughly about the time frame, about 350 years. Now, as you study this, and we'll come back to this if we're in Ruth, Lord willing, next week, barring any kind of, uh, any, any kind of problems or any kind of weather issues or anything like that, um, the book of Ruth was written and occurred, let's put it this way, it occurred during the time of the judges. It doesn't, and when we get to that next week, you'll see it in the first verse, actually, that it mentions uh, during the time of the judges. And so we don't know exactly under which rule of which judge or which part of the time it was in there, but we do know that Ruth happened, it occurred in the time of the judges. It actually extends into the eighth chapter of 1 Samuel, which is the book right after Ruth. So... Um, just from what we see and, and can, can find in Scripture and, and look at and examine from the book and the writing of it, it looks very much like Samuel wrote uh, the book of Judges. 
There are two keys to understanding Judges. So before we get into the chapters, this will help you a great deal. Turn with me, if you will, if you're in Judges, go over with me to the book, uh, to, to chapter number 17. Judges chapter 17. And this, this uh, book, for the most part, is on the downbeat most of the time. It's, um, there are some very good things that are some victories that the Lord wins and some good things that happen. But Judges has a lot of dark stuff in it. And there are two keys to understanding it. The first is, look at chapter 17 and verse 6 with me. Judges 17, verse 6. Now, put 2125, you can write that down. It basically says the same thing. We won't read it for time's sake, but it says basically the same thing. Verse 6. In those days, there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Now, Samuel, when he wrote uh, Judges, I believe he did, he wrote this after the events of Judges ended, probably. And so, or, or, or at least the, what we see in, in uh, the last judge, which is Samson, we'll get to that. So when he writes this, he's writing saying there's no king in Israel. That means two things. That means the events occurred before the first king, which was Saul. But it also means there was no leadership for them uh, in the book of Judges as far as someone to lead the whole nation. When we see chapter 1, it begins with the death of Joshua. In Joshua, it begins with the death of Moses. Judges, the very next book, begins with the death of Joshua. When Joshua begins, Moses dies, and Joshua takes over lead of God's people. When Judges begins, Joshua dies, nobody takes over. The very first thing you see in chapter 1 is they go straight into a battle with the enemy. But no one's leading them. I mean, uh, Judah goes and they ask if, they're, if one of the other tribes will help them. But no one goes in is to lead the whole nation. It's completely different in the book of Judges. So because there's no unified leadership, everybody's kind of doing their own thing. But let's go back and look at that. In those days, there's no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say every man did that which was wrong in his own eyes. You know why? People don't do wrong in their own eyes, do they? No. People do right in their own eyes. In fact, Proverbs 16, 25, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. People don't do what's wrong in their own eyes. They do what's right. And so that describes the spiritual climate, if you want to use that word, for the whole book of Judges. So when you see some of these odd things that happen, Go back to that verse, 17.6. Uh, Every man did that which was right. Of course, that's generic. Man or woman did that which was right in their own eyes. But the good news is, is God does raise up those that uh, come into leadership. But it's not for the whole nation. It's just for certain tribes at a certain time. This is the second key uh, on our GPS. Israel, this is the second thing. Israel had cycles of obedience and disobedience. Look with me at chapter 2. It's a little lengthy, but um, this will help you to see, starting at verse 11 down through verse 19. Uh, it's a little lengthy, but you'll, you'll see how it goes back and forth, back and forth. And I'll show you a chart in just a second. Verse 11, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. Balaam is a false god. It's an idol. Continue on. And they forsook the Lord of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Remember? And followed other gods. 
of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. Baal is the male deity. Ashtaroth is the female deity. All right, verse 14. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. They were his people. And God had a right to be angry with them because he loved them. And he wanted them to serve him. He called them to be his people. He brought them out of Egypt. He brought them through the Red Sea, their ancestors. And, and then, you know, they, they were you know, brought through the wilderness. So their forefathers, their forefathers had seen the great blessing of God. And so it says that he was angry with them, verse 14, delivered them in the hands of the spoilers that spoiled them. And he sold them in the hands of their enemies round about so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. And whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said, as the Lord had sworn unto them, and they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, the Lord, here it is, the Lord raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. And they would not hearken, yet they would not hearken to their judges, but went a whoring after other gods. He uses a physical picture here in our minds of a spiritual sin, going after other gods. And bowed themselves unto them, and turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord, but they did not so. They did not so. And the Lord raised them up judges, and went, um, the Lord was with the judge, and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For it repented the Lord because of the, their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. So the Lord would raise up a judge, and he would deliver them. Verse 19, it came to pass when the judge was dead, dead that they returned, corrupted themselves more than their fathers, and following other gods to serve them, to bow unto them, and cease not from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. 350 years. Over and over this cycle. So it's kind of like this. The top there, I don't know if you can see that. That word over there on the right, apostasy, seems a, means a falling away. To fall away from what they believe. To fall away from who they are. And that is God's people. Israel, they had fallen away from Him. So start at the top. Israel served the Lord. They're doing what God says. Then they fall into sin and idolatry from the enemy around them. They begin to worship their false gods. We saw that in those verses. They're in captivity to their enemy because of the, of the idolatry. God let them be in captivity. Then they cry out to the Lord. God raised up a judge. We'll see 12 of them, 13, but really 12 of them tonight. Israel's delivered, and then they serve the Lord again, and then they fall again, and it's a cycle over and over and over in the book of Judges. So those verses we just read sum up the whole book in just those few verses of how that cycle goes over and over. So here's a quick, um, divide the, the 21 chapters up three ways. First of all, in chapter 1 through the first part of chapter 2, about verse 5, is you see Israel's battles. After Joshua died, remember Joshua brought them into the promised land. And so they continued, their, um, they continued going into the promised land as they were supposed to do, but they come up against enemies. As, as God told them, and as Joshua told them, you're going to have enemies you're going to fight because you, this is your land. Go in and take the land. And so they would have battles with the enemies. And then the longest section of it, two, verse 6 through 1631, is their bondage, where they were just this cycle repeated over and over. And we'll see that when we go into the judges quickly, each of them tonight. And then chapter 17 to 21 are kind of an appendix because um, the, the outline just ha simply has Israel's blunders. Chapter 17 to 21, there are no dates in these events that happen. So Chapter 17 to 21 happened somewhere between 2.6 and 16.31.
the, the scripture's not clear as to when, and it doesn't really give any hints as to when. It's probably during the times that some of the judges had died and they were living in a time of, of peace. And so anyway, when you get to those chapters, they're kind of like an appendix. They're like, these are some things that happen. It's like finishing a book and going back and reading the highlights that were, that were not included earlier. So that's pretty much what, what happens in those chapters. All right, continuing our GPS, chapter 1, verse uh, 1 to 21, the tribe of Judah goes into a battle against an enemy. Now, again, some of this I'm going to go over quickly because we want to spend our time a little more on some other details. They go against an enemy, and they, they're promised victory at the beginning of chapter 1, but before you get a little about two-thirds of the way through it, a little more than two-thirds of the way, then they fall into defeat. They, they uh, lose the battle. They fall into defeat. Chapter 1, verse 22, through chapter 2, verse 5, the tribe of Joseph, same thing. He's battling the enemy, and then he has the promise, they have the promise of victory, then they fall into defeat. They lose to the enemy. So what happens in the cycle of Israel when they, when they have a, a, a judge, a deliverer? Um, what happens in that cycle is once they're brought out of that, during the time of peace, they're getting to a time where you know God's blessed them and they start disobeying again. They're going back into idolatry is what's happening. So because of that, um, there's defeat in their battles. So now let's get to the main, the heart of the book of Judges that we'll look at the judges found in, in the book uh, from chapter 2, verse 6 to 1631, the longest part of the book. Um, this is the, the time of what, for lack of a better term, you just call it a reign under the leadership of these different judges. Um, there are 13 listed. One of them actually is not a judge so much. He wants to make himself a king. One of them is a woman named Deborah who has a helper named Barak. And the rest of them are, are men that do various, um, uh, they, they, they fight various battles. Some of them there's a lot said about, like, uh, of course, Samson. Some of them there's not as much. In the first couple especially, there's not, a mu- not that much. So a judge, to get this in your mind, it's not someone stands behind, you know, bangs a gavel. Now, there are times they had to make decisions, but these, these judges, it would be like we would think of a marshal um, or a general or a warrior, someone going into battle. Um, be kind of like a marshal that goes, uh, has his territory, and he goes from town to town, um, and, and um, sometimes... Well, he enforces the law one way or the other, basically. And so they're somewhat kind of like that. And they're not really a like bang the gavel type judge. So they're really, what they are is a deliverer. Ultimately, that's what they are. They help to deliver God's people. And each of them, they're from different tribes. Some of them, the tribes aren't even named, but they're from different tribes most, for the most part. So let's look at this. Um, the first one in chapter 3, verse 7 through 11 their enemy is Mesopotamia, which is northeast of them. And um, they're the judge that God raises up is a judge named Othniel, O-T-H-N-I-E-L. And he's judged for eight years. He's the first of the judges. Um, he's actually the son of um, a man named Kenaz, K-E-N-A-Z, who's a younger brother of Caleb. Remember Caleb? Uh, had gotten his mountain, remember in the book of Joshua, where he got his mountain. So he is, um, he's, he's be his um, like great nephew. His wife, Axa, was a daughter of Caleb. So 
he had a reward for bravery, and that's what brought him to the position he was in. And so he was the very first judge that was mentioned. Um, he's the only one that we know of that's connected with the tribe of Judah. And then after his eight years and he delivered them from the enemy, the land had rest for 40 years. So he's, his, um, after his time of, judge, of being judge, deliverer, uh, it was one of the longest times of rest that they had. There was another one for 40 years, but his was a time of rest for 40 years. Then the Moabites and the Ammonites are enemies that come in. And also the Amalekites. There are three different ones who come into battle. Now, these live in regions, but they also move around different places. And so Ehud, E-H-U-D, is uh, the judge that's mentioned in here from chapter 3, verse 12 to 50. And after Othniel, the first one died, the people, of course, fall into a, a idolatry. And so the king of Moab um, unites with the Ammonites and the Amalekites, and they cross Jordan and go into Jericho. And for 18 years, they held that whole district in subjection. And, and so God raised up um, the deliverer there, uh, the judge um, Ehud, to, to go in and to, um, to take over there. And so... He went in and he found the king of Moab, which was a very heavy man, and it describes Ehud as being a left-handed man. And so when he went in um, and they saw him without a sword on this side, they probably thought he didn't have a sword. But the Bible tells us that it was about a cubit long. He had, he had uh, basically a sword, a, a blade that was hidden over here. And when he went in to talk to Ehud, he said, I have a message to you for you. And so uh, he gave him a private audience, and when he did, um, he uh, killed the king to to uh, bring bring freedom to the um, to um, the the, uh, the tribe. And so uh, they were released after that from from his um, from from and was able to go into battle. Excuse me, to go into battle after that because the king was dead, and so everything went haywire, and they didn't know what to do. So he leads them into battle, and about ten thousand were put to death, and then. Um, they had rest after that for uh, 80 years that time. So then there's the uh, Moabites and the Amalekites again that come in. We don't know how many years that they, that they were in battle, but God raises up a judge named Shamgar. If you're at chapter 3, we'll, we'll read a little bit about him at verse number 31. Uh, get over to it. And after him was Shamgar son of Anath, which slew the Philistines 600 men with an ox goad, he also delivered Israel. So uh, he fought, I put the wrong thing up there, I'm sorry, that should be the, the Philistines. I don't know why I put that there. Um, I was copying and pasting, I guess. But anyway, he fought the Philistines. So if you look in verse 31, I, I had that wrong. But he did have, uh, God did raise him up. And all he has is that little bitty, little bitty verse about him. And we don't know how many years they had rest after they defeated the Philistines. Then you get to chapter 4 and 5, and you see something really interesting here uh, in several ways. In chapter 4, we see the first and only um, of, the, of, the, um, of the judges that is, a, that is a woman, and her name is Deborah. And it says there in verse, uh, let's see, read verse, let's go down from verse 1 to 4 in chapter 4. The children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. You see that phrase several times in Judges. It says, when Ehud was dead, and the Lord sold, excuse me, sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, that reigned in Hatzor, the captain of whose host was Sisera, which dwelt in Heresheth of the Gentiles. And the children of Israel 
cried unto the Lord, for he had 900 chariots of iron. 20 years he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. So for 20 years they were in, uh, in oppression by the Canaanites. Um, Canaanites usually worshipped Baal. Um, that was their, their false god, and the female would be Ashtoreth. Verse 4, And Deborah, the, a prophetess, wife of Lapidoth, she judged Israel at that time. So she's two things here. She's a prophetess, and we'll see that in chapter 5. And she is also uh, a, a judge. It listed, uh, calls her here a judge over Israel at that period of time. So she and Barak go into battle against the Canaanites. Pick up at verse... Um, well, let's go on. To, let's, let's pick up verse five, and then we'll read down to verse number uh, eight. And she dwelt in the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel and Mount Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. So she did make decisions. Like I said, there were decisions that they made, but it wasn't a judge behind you know banging a gavel. But they were. They did make decisions, and she probably is the one that they um, mentioned. Um, as far as I know, the only one, the main one they mentioned at least for making decisions. The rest of them were simply like generals or marshals. Um, verse 6, And she sent and called Barak, the son of Abinoam, of Kadesh Naphtali. Wow, that's a long name. It's longer than whole, isn't it? And said unto him, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go and draw toward Mount Tabor, and take with thee 10,000 men of the children of Naphtali and the children of Zebulun. So two tribes were going to come in and help them, Naphtali and Zebulun. And I will draw thee unto thee the river of Kishon, Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude, and I will deliver him into thy hand. Verse 8, And Barak said unto her, If thou wilt go with me, then I will go. But if thou wilt not go with me, then I will not go. So we see here that God uh, raises up Deborah. We don't know Barak, what his, what, uh, what he, how involved he was until then. Uh, we don't know if he just was not willing to go at all, but he said that if she would go, he would go with her. But if she didn't go, he would not go. And so, um, you know, short straw, she went. Verse 9, she said, I will surely go with thee, notwithstanding the journey thou takest shall not be for thine honor. For the Lord shall sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh. So she's called a prophetess. And as a prophetess, she knows what God's going to do. She knows God's going to deliver. In fact, she knows, she may not know all the details, but she knows that a woman is going to kill Sisera. And as you read on down through here and you find throughout the chapter, uh, that very thing happens um, in chapter, in chapter um, 4. And then there's um, chapter 5 gives a, you could call it a prophecy, you call it a song uh, about the battle that happened. Go with me to verse... Um, Okay, you see, if you read on through, you'll see the battle. Deborah goes into battle. Barak goes with her. Um, and again, repeats in verse 14 that the Lord's going to deliver Sisera. Sisera, remember, he's the king of, of, uh, of the enemy. All right, now skip down to verse 18. And Jael went out to meet Sisera. Jael is the woman that is, that is spoken of by Deborah back in verse 9. That's who this is, verse 18. To meet Sisera and said unto him, Turn in, my Lord, turn in to me, fear not. And when he had turned in unto her in the tent, she uncovered him with a mantle, or covered him, excuse me, with a mantle, got that backwards, and said unto her, Give me, I pray thee, a little water to drink. So he wants some water. He says, I'm thirsty. And so she went a step further. Rather than water, I'll give him some milk. Well, how about some milk? Would you rather have milk? She opened a bottle of milk, gave him to drink, and covered him. 
And he said unto her, Stand at the door of the tent, it shall be when any man doth come and inquire of thee, and say, Is there any man here? Thou shalt say no. And Jael, Abair's wife, took a nail of the tent, and took a hammer in her hand, and went softly unto him, and smote the nail in his temples, and fastened it to the ground, for he was fast asleep and weary, so he died. Got rid of that one. <laughs> He's done. Uh, just as she said, there would be victory, and uh, like the like before, whenever um, was it, he had had to go into to um, you know the king, and he put the put the long sword into him, and then left after he um, after he had killed the king. Then that happens that time. So God raised up and used uh, this woman Jael, the wife of a man named Eber, Eber to um, to basically take care of it. And so apparently those were what we would think of as like probably tent nails, and they were probably at least eight inches or more long because it had to go into the ground. So he was done. He was a goner. Just as God said, you'll have victory over the enemy. Weird book, isn't it? Strange book. It gets stranger. It really does. Um, and so the, the scripture t- talks about uh, the battle and they get victory. Well, you go into chapter number five, and this is interesting. Let's look at a couple of verses of this. Pick up at verse one. Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day, that day sang. So they sing a duet together. And the battle's over. And so this song here that they sing describes the battle with, with uh, some description that's not found in the previous chapter. Well, here's something else that's very interesting about this whole chapter. Chapter 5 here, also, we said Deborah was a prophetess. Some of the things she mentions here do not actually happen until the second coming of Jesus Christ in Revelation 19. Isn't that something? This is an amazing book, folks. There is no book on this planet put together like this. This is an amazing book. We don't have time to read through it, but if you read down through it, some of those things didn't actually happen in that battle. She is prophesying what's going to happen at the second coming of Christ. Incredible book. Just a, just, it's a wild book. It really is. So um, anyway, they, they fight that battle. And then um, Deborah and Barak, and then there's 40 years of peace, rest that they, that they have. Then you get to chapter 6 through chapter 8. And for whatever reason, this is actually my favorite judge. Um, I'm, the more I read this, I like Deborah more and more now. But uh, chapter 6 here is uh, my favorite judge, and that's Gideon. Gideon was a man that God called. And they had been in uh, captivity to the Midianites for seven years. And what was happening was they'd grow their crops and the Midianites would come in and they'd take their crops. They'd, they'd get everything. They would just strip everything that they'd grown, take it back as their own food, and leave them without food. So let's look at a few verses here about Gideon. Verse 1, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. We saw that before, didn't we? And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. Remember chapter 2, we saw that cycle where the Lord would deliver them until they were chastised and realized, let's get rid of these these idols, let's worship the true God. Verse 2, and the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. And because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them dens, which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. So they, they knew where to hide, and when the time was right, they would come out and take their crops. Verse 3, it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up, and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they come up against them. So the Amalekites join in with them, but Midian is the main enemy. Verse 4, and they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till they come into Gaza and left no sustenance for Israel. 
neither sheep nor ox nor ass. So they only get their, all their food that they grew, but they got their, their livestock. Verse 5, they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came, up as, came as grasshoppers from multitude, for both they and their camels were without number. They entered the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. God got their attention. They cried out to him. Remember the cycle? We saw that. That's exactly what was going on. And so they cried out to him. The Lord sent a prophet to them, an unnamed prophet that he sends to them, verse 8. And, uh, re- and that goes down to verse number 10, where that prophet tells them, look, God wants to deliver you. You keep going into bondage. Verse 11, there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was an Ophrah, that pertained to Joash the Abiezrite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide from the Midianites. Gideon wasn't exactly the most brave man. When I, when I read Gideon, you know, I think of, if you ever watch Andy Griffith, Barney Fife. You know, when, when he's scared, you remember the, you remember the one where, he, where the, 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 the convict gets away and he comes back after Barney and they get up in the, he gets, hides in the, um, in the loft of the barn and Barney's in there, he's shaking, you know. That's why I see Gideon, just shaky, right? So he's scared to death. But the, the uh, angel of the Lord appears to him. And as he does, he finds him threshing wheat by a wine press. You don't thresh wheat in a wine press. Wine presses are low. They're a vat. They're low like that. So when they crush the grapes, the wine, the, the grapes are, are all in there, and it builds up, you know, from, from in, in, inside the vat. You know, it holds all that liquid. Well, when you thresh wheat, you don't get in a wine press. You want to be up on a high spot where when the wind blows, as you beat that wheat, the chaff will blow it. Oh, it will blow, the wind will blow the chaff away and the wheat will fall back down. And it makes it easier on you when you're separating the wheat and the chaff. And so if you don't have a threshing floor, so as far as inside of a building. And so he was outside in a wine press, scared to death, threshing wheat. And that's not where you thresh it, but it shows how afraid he was. But look what God says, verse 12. This is very practical. We'll come back to this at the end of the study. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty Man of valor. My question, if I was him, I'd say, you talking to me. I'm not a mighty man of valor. God calls him a mighty man of valor. You know what? God sees you through his eyes. He doesn't see you through your eyes. He doesn't see you through my eyes or anybody else's eyes. He sees you through his eyes. And he sees you for who you really are in Christ. And he sees you for what you can do for him. That's a blessing, isn't it? Isn't that awesome? Called him a mighty man of valor. He was a scaredy cat. You go on to read through this and you see how he begins to, like Moses did, he started saying, but I'm, I can't do this. I, I, who am I, basically? And he says, I'm poor, verse 15. My family's poor. I'm in, I'm in Manasseh, which is one of the least tribes. I'm the least in my father's house. He said, look, you found the least of the least of the least. You're digging low, Lord, if you want me to be used, or you want to use me. But he said unto him, verse 17, I found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign. Of course, he, he, goes, to, he he's, um, goes on to, um, to set the fleece out. Remember the, remember the story of the fleece? You won't go into that because you've probably heard that many times. And so he sets the fleece out to, to have a sign from God. Does it two different times, right? So he really wants to be assured. He's like you and me. You know, a lot of times we're afraid, and Lord, show me something and, and assure me. And so that's not a recommended way to find God's will. But nevertheless, God worked through it. And so, uh, again, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And so Gideon 
He was like you and me. He was a human being. He had his weaknesses, but God wanted to use him. And so um, he, he goes in, he destroys the altar of Baal, uh, as you read on down through chapter 6 there. And he's given a nickname in verse 32. Therefore, on that day, they called him Jerub Baal, which means destroyer of Baal. He got a nickname. That's a great thing to have a nickname for, isn't it? For one who destroyed the, the, uh, the idol. And so God used him greatly. Well, because of that, in chapter 7, it talks about a battle that they went into. I'm going to have to move fast. Uh, it talks about a battle that they go into with the enemy, and they were outnumbered. The reason they were outnumbered is they had a lot that would go into battle, but God said, you have too many, Gideon. I want you to whittle this down. He whittles them down, whittles them down. They end up with 300 to face the, all of the enemy. God says, you've got too many because I want to receive the glory for this, not you, Gideon, and not your army. I want to receive glory. So God whittles them down to about 300 um, is what they have as they go into battle. And as they do, interesting thing happens. They have a, a lamp and a pitcher and a, a torch and a pitcher, and they go into battle, and they have trumpets. And so what they do is they go into battle. When the enemy sees these, these uh, torches, they have no idea. They think that one torch may represent numbers of men, but it was those 300. And they go in, but they cover them first with a pitcher. They cover them where they'll still burn under there, but the enemy can't see them. Then when they get to a certain point, they break the pitchers, broke them, and then now the light can shine forth. And so it's a surprise attack, and God uses it. And while they're in battle, I love this chapter. This is so much in here. While they're in battle, one of the enemy uh, soldiers over uh, uh, talks to another, and Gideon overhears it, where one says, you know, I had a dream about this happening. And I had this dream that happened about this barley bread. It's, no one le- it's none other than Gideon. And Gideon got to overhear that. They went into battle. God gave them great victory. Then you get to chapter 8, and Gideon, being human, he makes some mistakes. And we don't have time to go into all those today, but he, uh, he had many, many sons. And um, going on to chapter 9, and we'll actually talk about those. So chapter 8 kind of ends on a down note. We won't go into that for time, but you may want to read into that now that you've had a little background on. Then when you get to chapter 9, you get into a man called Abimelech. In verse number 9, it tells us that he was a son of Jerubbaal, which we know is another name for Gideon, right? So uh, Abimelech's one of his many sons that he has. Well, Abimelech, what he does in chapter 9, he um, is kind of a, he's kind of a judge, but he wants basically to be a king, is what he wants to be. He wants to be the first king over Israel. And so um, he uh, judges them for three years. And there, in chapter 9, verse 57, it gives a sad end to his life. Then you go into chapter 10, and then there's a man named Tola. He's the next judge in verses 1 and 2. He's only given a couple of verses. And we're not sure who it was, probably the, the Midianites, but he, he is, um, he's a judge there over, um, the, over them for 23 years, and then the land has rest after that, uh, after he dies. He's only mentioned in two verses. We don't know how many years of rest that they had uh, after his reign uh, and rule. But then you get on into the next one in chapter 10, verse 3 to 5, and Jair, J-A-I-R, he is a judge for 22 years, and we're not sure, but that could have been the Midianites also that they faced 
but uh, he's a judge for 22 years, and we don't know how many years of peace. Again, some of these are just a few verses, and those are a couple of them, again, that back-to-back, just a few verses about them, not much. Then we get to a man in chapter 11 and 12, a man named Jephthah. The Ammonites were enemies, and they want, um, they want to you know, invade the, the, the um they want to invade the, the tribe there where Jephthah comes from. We'll, we'll see a little bit about that here in chapter 11. But it says there, in, he was a Gileadite in verse 1 of chapter 11, a mighty man of valor. Now, different from, from uh, Gideon, who was called a man of valor when he didn't think he was, we do know that Jephthah is described as being a man of valor. And his wife bearing him sons. His wife's sons, it says their sons grew up. They thrust out, or excuse me, his Gilead, his dad's wife, bears sons, which is Jephthah. And he said, you, they said, you're not going to inherit our father's house. They didn't want him around. And so as the story goes on, he, God raises him up to be a judge and to, to deliver uh, Israel and, or, or his tribe there to deliver them. And it says that, um, that he, as he battled the Ammonites, he smote them. In chapter 11, in verse number 33, Jeff the, or 32 passed over to the children of Ammon to fight against them. The Lord delivered them in his hands, verse 33, and he smote them from Aror, even until came to Mineth, even 20 cities, and unto the plain of the vineyards with a very great slaughter. Thus the children of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. So Jephthah um, had uh, fought a, a great battle, led them into battle. And then we see um, a sad part of that is where Jephthah makes a very foolish vow. And when he does, uh, he makes a vow that the first uh, to enter a door, which he thought would probably be an animal, he said, I will offer as a sacrifice. And then the sadness of it, as you read through the rest of chapter 11, that turns out to be his daughter. And, uh, but Jephthah, he did what was right in his own eyes. If Jephthah had went back to the Old Testament law, he, could, he would be able to find how he could be released from a foolish vow. Uh, but he did not do that. And so uh, he lost his daughter, and then he himself is, is killed uh, in chapter in chapter 12 also, he goes on to, just to talk about uh, how he was killed by some of his own even. So uh, although he was a judge that did, did uh, some great things to deliver Israel and brought them peace for six years, he made some very bad mistakes. We need to move on quickly. And then there's an unknown enemy comes in, and the judge is named Ibzan in chapter 12, verse 8 to 10. Um, just, again, another short. We're not sure how many years the enemy was... Um, was oppressing them, but they had peace for seven years. And then Judge Elon, chapter 12, verse 11 to 12, uh, again, an unknown enemy. And as he uh, faced battle there, verse 11 and 12, they had peace for 10 years. And then one more, Judge Abdon, that finishes out chapter 12, verse 13 to 15, A-B-D-O-N. He's the next one. Uh, and he was the, the 10th judge, and they had rest for eight years. Then you get into chapter 13 through 16, uh, one of the longest sections as far as everything together, and that is a man named Jephthah. Or, or excuse me, not Jephthah, we finished him, Samson, I'm sorry. Samson is the son of a man named Manoah, and he was, uh, the, his parents were visited by an angel before um, he was um, even conceived and said that, and told them that they would bear a son. Verse 5, he would be a Nazarite. That is someone that has a special calling. There's certain things about Nazarites that were not to, they were only to cut their hair at certain times. They were not to eat anything. They were not to drink wine or eat anything of grapes. And they were not to touch dead bodies. And so those are three of the things concerning them. But Samson breaks 
every one of those things during his life and his time as a judge. And so, you know, the, um, where he's, he looks um, and he finds the Philistine woman, chapter, thir- uh, chapter 14, excuse me, uh, that he wants uh, to be his. And then um, he ends up getting hoodwinked by a friend. And then you read on in chapter 15 and 16 where uh, as he ends up, uh, he finds Delilah. And then in chapter 16, as he gets towards the end of his life, remember he ends up telling her the secret to his strength because uh, there's some of his, uh, of his enemies want to know why, how he's strong, how he can do all these great uh, deeds, how he can do all, accomplish all these great tasks and where his strength comes from. And then he finally tells her, she cuts his hair. And as you remember, uh, the enemy got him and took him and basically beat him and put his eyes out. When you end chapter 16, it's the only time that you see Samson pray. Alder, he may have, but the only time he prayed about anything was in chapter 16, right before he dies. As the enemy had been mocking him, he said, Oh Lord, give me strength. And he takes the, uh, and, and, he, and he pushes the, uh, the door um, post cover, and he ends up bringing the house down <laughs> and destroys many of them. And the Bible says he killed more in his death than he did when he was alive. And during his time as judge, remember, he took the jaw on the ass and killed a thousand. So he uh, ends up de- uh, destroying a lot of the Philistines as he dies there um, uh, at the end of his life, the end uh, for, for Samson. Now, let's uh, look over a few things about this. Um, Back that up if you want to read that. Uh, write that down. His 20 years, the Philistines came in to uh, oppress them, and they had rest 40 years after Samson. So from Samson until the book of 1 Samuel, there's uh, Samuel's mentioned in 1 Samuel as a judge. Um, he's the last judge in the book of Judges. So that time period that we looked at, 9, whatever that year was we had on there, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, 922, um, 972, whatever it was, that was... Um, that was uh, the time when Samson's rule as a judge ended. But then you get into chapter 17 to chapter 21, and we see some undated events that occurred during those first 16 chapters. In chapter 17, you see a phony priest. There was a man of, the, of Mount Ephraim. His name was Micah, it says. And he had, uh, he had taken money from his mother. Look at this in verse 2. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. This is just strange. Verse 2, he said unto his mother, the 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from thee, about which thou cursest, made her so mad she started cussing about it, and spakest of also in my ears. In other words, said to him, probably, I don't know where this money is. Have you seen it? Do you know where this money is? Look what he says. Behold, the silver's with me. I got it. (laughs) I took it. And his mother said, get this. This is even stranger. Blessed be thou the Lord, my son. Is that odd? That's just odd to me. And when he had restored the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son. Look what she dedicated it for. To make a graven image and a molten image. She dedicates money to the Lord to make an image of an idol that God already told his people don't worship. Don't make them, don't worship. This is the oddest book. I'm telling you, folks, the oddest book in all of Scripture. Therefore, I'll restore it unto thee, she says in verse 3. Yet he restored the money to his mother, and his mother took the 200 shekels um, 
and gave to the founder who made thereof a graven image and a molten image, and they were in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a house of gods and made an ephod and a teraphim. An ephod is like a, what a priest would wear. So pre, he had priestly clothes. He's not of the tribe of Levi, but he makes this for himself or not called to be a priest. And a, teraph, a teraphim is basically an idol that's in the shape of a human being is what that is. A teraphim and consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. Verse 6, this is our key verse. In those days, there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And that's exactly what Micah and his mother did. So here he makes his son a priest. Then you get chapter 18, and it says the same thing in verse 1. There's no king in those days, and the Danites, the tribe of Dan, wanted an inheritance. Well, they meet up with Micah, and they end up getting a priest for themselves that God had not set apart as a priest. So you have to read on through there and get the, the rest of it, and you'll see where they had set up graven images. Just, just really a lot of strange stuff happens. Then um, chapter 19 is rated in C-17. This is a very rough chapter. Some really rough, bad things happen in this chapter. And it says in those days, verse 1, I'm just going to read a few verses. We're not going to read this whole thing. We're late already. Came to pass those days when there was no king in Israel. It reminds us again, there's a certain Levite journeying, uh, sojourning on the side of Mount Ephraim and took him a concubine of Bethlehem, Judah. So it goes on to say that this, uh, this man, his father-in-law, the damsel's father, uh, they stayed with him. And then it goes on to talk about in this chapter that um, some, some wicked men come uh, to the house and they said, um, bring the men out of the house. And, you know, we were in mixed company, and I'm not going to describe the rest of what they're, what they're, you can read it yourself. And then the man, phenomenal, says, here's my daughter here. You can have her instead, which is every man did that, which was right in his own eyes, folks. I'm telling you, this is a weird, weird book, and this is probably the strangest chapter in the whole thing. So what happens is, is all during the night, they end up taking this woman. They end up killing her. And so the, the dad, he ends up cutting her into 12 pieces and sends her along with a note, her body, to the 12 tribes of Israel. Is this strange? This is strange stuff, folks. I mean, the, the stuff they put on TV, it can't compete with this. This is strange. Send her out to all the 12 tribes of Israel with a note about it. So in chapter 20, it shows, it starts talking about how the tribes begin to talk about this and what happened. So they go after the tribe of Benjamin. And in doing so, um, they, they go into battle with their own, um, one of their own tribes, the tribe of Benjamin. And then in chapter 21, Benjamin is cast out because Benjamin, as well as some of the other tribes, but Benjamin, they had um, married some of the heathen women and brought idolatry back in and kind of kept it going because now it was a family thing. You know, it had gotten into their family. So um, the, um, it ends with, um, with the battle um, or, or excuse me, with them casting Benjamin away from them. And, and then when you get to the last verse, in those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. It's a strange, strange book. So these books are undated, or uh, these chapters are undated. After 17, after 16, after Samuel, 1 Samuel 1-1 begins and Judges ends as far as Judges itself. The last judge is Samuel, and that's in 1 Samuel chapter 8. We'll get to that when we get to, to uh, Judges. The book of Ruth in Sam, 1 Samuel chapters 1 to 8 occurred during the time of the Judges. Well, it's just not working. Okay. Four of those Judges are found in the Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11, chapter 11 and verse 32. 
it mentions them by name. And lo and behold, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think that they would be there. But um, when you read in Hebrews chapter 11 and see the, um, the ones that are mentioned, verse number 32, it says this. Um, and what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and Jephthah. We saw all four of those. We saw the failures of their lives. God sees who you are in his eyes. And we're human. Those men did what was right in their own eyes, but God knew them. They were saved men. And God includes them in the Hebrews chapter 11 Hall of Fame. They were saved in what we think of saved in the sense of the New Testament. So four of them are found in Hebrews eleven thirty-two. Amazing thing. Of course, it was written to Israel to tell, to describe their time of falling away. And it was written to warn them. And then Samuel, who writes it, after, uh, during his time, there's the first king in Israel. I need to move quick from lessons learned. There's no spiritual leadership at all in Israel uh, at that time. Um, the kings, or excuse me, the, the, only, the most spiritual one probably was Deborah. Uh, and she, she prophesied those things that happened. Um, some of those guys only mentions like two verses. We don't know where they were spiritually, but it wasn't enough to be included in Scripture. Samson was certainly no example to follow, was he? So uh, there was no spiritual leadership at that time. Um, these are just some references, and we don't have time to look in it. But in Acts chapter 20, verse 28 to 30, Paul talks to some pastors that he's going to see for the last time and tells them, he said, look, protect your flock because there are going to be those who come in who try to spiritually drag them away and deceive them. And so there's an example or a, um, a parallel spiritually uh, uh, when it talks about spiritual leadership in the Scripture. And then some more verses about that. 2 Peter 2, verse 1 to 3. Jeremiah 10, verse 21. And that day it says that their pastors, and of course pastors in that day weren't such much a pastor as we think of today, but any of their spiritual leadership in, in Israel were out for their own self. They weren't out for the rest of the, the people. Ezekiel 34, verse 2 to 6, says something very similar. Traffic jam in pothole number two. The next generation was not taught. They weren't taught uh, what they needed to know. If you go back and read chapter 2, we didn't read it tonight, but 10 to 13, it talks about the uh, generation of Moses and then the, the generation after that, after Moses died, that wandered in the wilderness. Um, they, their, their fathers before them uh, that, that lived through the wilderness, after the wilderness, they saw or they heard from their fathers the great things God did. And then the next generation knew very little, if anything. And so that third generation didn't know the Lord according to chapter 2, verse 10 to 13. They had no spiritual, uh, no, no spiritual roots at all. And then uh, this is the other thing. When blatant obvious sin is okay, Lesser sins, I'm using those in quotes because there's no such thing, but I mean, sin is sin. But when blatant, obvious sin is okay, lesser sins are overlooked. And there's a good going to a whole message about that, but I just do not have time tonight. And then those in leadership, are, when they're not held accountable, then there's going to be rampant crime. It's Proverbs 16, 2 is a reference to that. And so, you know, there was nobody, leadership, nobody was held accountable. And so because of that, there was no uh, accountability among leadership. So there's certainly going to be among the people. We need the Spirit of the Lord. The Bible tells, says in several places in there, we didn't read them tonight, but for Jephthah, for um, Gideon, for Samson, the Bible says, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon them, 
and they did those great things, and they were able to physically do great things. We need the Spirit of the Lord. If you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit within you, but it's not that we need more of Him. He needs more of us. Ephesians 5 verse 18 says to be filled with the Spirit. And so He needs more of us. Uh, we've got all of Him we really need. He needs more of us. Um, and all of these, uh, oh, these are the verses, I'm sorry. Uh, that one, on the, those on the bottom are kind of hard to read. But those are the, the four that the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord came upon them. Othniel was the first one, chapter 3, that we saw him. Gideon in chapter 6, verse 34. Jephthah in chapter 11, verse 29. And then 1, 2, 3. Four times on Samson, chapters 13, 14, and 15, the Spirit of the Lord came upon, the Spirit of the Lord came upon, the Spirit of the Lord came upon. I had more notes than I had time tonight, obviously. So we need godly leadership. We can't stick our heads in sand anymore. Um, if there's an Old Testament book that describes the days we're living in, it's Judges. We're living in Judges. We can't, we can't stick our heads in sand. So Jesus, fuel up. Jesus is our judge. He's our deliverer. He delivers us, and he does it often. He does it regularly. And another thing, the angel of the Lord, we didn't go into this, and when Gideon was talking to the angel of the Lord, Obviously, the angel of the Lord was Jesus. Verse 16 shows that there was worship there. And as we saw last week in another example, um, an angel wouldn't allow himself to be worshipped. Only the Lord can be worshipped. So the angel of the Lord there is Jesus pre-incarnate, like we looked at um, a couple of weeks ago in the study. A couple of uh, verses to remember. 17.6 is, th- is the key to the whole book. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. 6 verse 12, God called Gideon a mighty man of valor. God sees you and me through his eyes, not through our eyes or anybody else's eyes. He sees us through his eyes. He knows who we are. Um, and then 624, um, when the, the Lord appeared to, to uh, Gideon, was talking to him around that, around that fire where he'd offered up that offering and talked to the angel of the Lord. Um, he's referred to as Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord, our peace. Um, and so he, he, he um, reveals himself to Gideon with peace. They needed peace. They wanted peace, but strife was what they faced all the time until God used the judge to bring them peace and rest. Next time, Lord willing, next week, hopefully next Wednesday, we'll be in the book of Ruth. So we'll probably not go quite as long as we did tonight, but we'll, we'll take a, a good deep look at Ruth. That's a great book, great book. All right, any questions or anything before we close? I know I held you over tonight. Yes, ma'am, Denise. When I said seventh or eighth grade in Bible class, one of our assignments was we had to do Judge's timeline where we had to, to record that cycle for each uh-huh. judge, the obedience, disobedience, and everything. It was, ended up being a lot of papers all stapled together really long and everything. But I, I still have it, so I'm, I'm going to look it up. And, you know, yeah, that'd be, cool. that'd be cool to see. That'd be something neat to see. Yeah, that, that was uh, if they're if the numbers I read are uh, like 350 years. That's a long time. But a lot of those times were peace. You saw an 80 year in there. You saw a couple of 40s and 20s. So some of that time was peace. Also, all right. Anything else? Yes, ma'am, Barbara. You hadn't forgotten already what you were going to say. <laughs> she forgot what she was going to say. Yes, I forgot. I saw it on your face. Okay. Uh, um, I know 40 in the Bible, a lot of times is a number of testing, like when Moses, well, you know, they were in the wilderness for 40 years. Um, that's a good question. I'll have to look into see if there's anything significant to that as far as their rest time, because one time it was 80, which is double that. And then sometimes it was 20, which is half of that. So there may, yeah, there may be something to that 40. I, I need to, I need to look into that. That's a good question. All right.
Did it you reminds me of the church today, of what is happening in worship uh-huh. in this country, and I don't even know where else. Yeah. <laughs> but the things that people do in the name of worship. Right. God. <laughs> yeah, kind of odd. All right. Anything else? All right. I kept you a long time tonight. Let's stand and close. Interesting book, isn't it? Strange book. Um, anyway, so maybe you'll get a chance to go back and read through some of those. But when you, if you read ahead in Ruth, it's four chapters, and the beginning of it will tell you that it happened this time. Ruth is a breath of fresh air for the events of Judges. It sure is. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for tonight. Thank you, Lord, for each one here. I thank you for your word. Lord, what an amazing book. We saw the depths of man's sinfulness tonight. But we also saw the mercy and grace of a God who loves his people and who has to, has to sometimes you had to use the, the enemy to draw your people back to yourself. And Lord, we, we, we know that um, as believers, we don't face a physical enemy, but sometimes there are things as we looked at Sunday morning in our message that come our way that you use to draw us closer to yourself, Lord, and things that come into our life that, that um, draw us back to our need for you or a deeper, closer fellowship. And so, Lord, there's so many lessons to learn from judges, and we thank you, Lord, that it's part of Scripture. You've included it, and we want to learn from it and be edified, Lord, from it. Thank you for your word. I pray that you'll keep us safe as we leave from here tonight, Lord, and watch over us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.